0: In sports, to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com, and joining me on the other line, he is the last of us. It's Andy Greenwald! Oh, that was topical. That's that good. I, I often have this issue right, right before we record where I don't know how to introduce you. It just shows how long we've been doing it. Today, Andy, we are talking almost entirely everything you could ever want to know about Home Box Office Maximum. Uh, We have a lot of stuff to talk about with HBO. There's a a few other news items we're going to do. We're also going to discuss these two shows that are on HBO Max, international shows that you and I checked out this week, The Head and Vita Perfecta, both on HBO Max. So let's get into the watch. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, Oh my God, Andy! What what a week of news for us this week! We have so many headlines to get to.
0: I love your. Do you like
1: this this new kind of like today in the news kind of Nicholas Fain like just our slant on today's today's papers?
0: I love it for the, for a moment. People won't know this because Kaya so artfully edits the podcast. But it did feel like before you did my introduction, you were scanning the 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 uh, the feed on CNN just to see like <gasps> what the chirons were for the day.
1: I was just looking for inspiration. How's your week been going?
0: That's great, Did, What do what, what you? What would you say if I asked you that? What would I say? Yeah, it's been How's your week going.
1: Um, a lot of like monastic contemplation. I think it's just been me ah. really uh, vibing with the arts, vibing with sport, vibing with athletics. Uh, you know, it started. We had that lovely experience on Sunday night watching Tom Brady. Uh, just turn back the hands of time, and and since then I just feel like I've been getting younger every day.
0: Have you? Well, here's what I'm, what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the words, but what I'm understanding in my heart is that you have spent three nights with phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> like Ant-Man 2 consumed That's right. you.
1: I have I've finally have gotten into the quantum verse. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank God. So it's finally started to make sense to you now, all of it altogether.
1: No, I've been watching a lot of basketball, a lot of basketball this week.
0: I, um, speaking of basketball, I feel like I, I should let our listeners know Mm. that I'm having a very unique, uh, for me...
1: Oh, I was going to ask you about this.
0: Experience. Well, I guess not unique for me because I am rarely in step with the times, but it does feel a little intense right now, which is, Chris, have you heard about this Michael Jordan documentary? I think it's called The Ultimate Dance. Something like that. Yes. So I hope I'm not alone in this because... uh, You're not alone in
1: watching The Last Dance. No, no, no. no.
0: (laughs) I I, I hope I'm not alone in this experience in watching it way too late. Because in my defense, uh, when it came, when everyone was going crazy about it in the spring and it was on ESPN, I actually wanted to wait. I knew it was coming to Netflix. Kind of wanted to watch it without commercials. I don't remember. I think I was still in, was I still in post? I don't even remember. But I was like, I'm gonna. I can't wait to watch this. How you exciting! Not in post and then it,
1: because the pandemic was happening,
0: I was I was in pre. Okay, so I was in not post. I was in during. Yeah. Pandemic. I have no excuse. The point being, everyone loved it, and it was very exciting. Everyone had a lot of fun, and I was immediately jealous that I had not taken this journey with the majority of America and all mm-hmm. of my friends. Then it hits Netflix, and then I I went into this very dangerous um, zone that I think is maybe not unique to me and might be something that happens to a lot of uh, couples with, oh, yeah, you know, that the, sure. they, they try to do a respectful balance of interests and things, which is— not that it was a one for me, one for her situation in terms of what we'd be watching in our limited couch time. It was more that I, I carried in my heart, much like Michael Jordan carried in his heart the dream of multiple championships and humiliating Isaiah Thomas. I carried in my heart the hope that this could be something that we would watch together, even though in my offense, <laughs> at no point did my wife express the slightest smidgen of interest in this. Right.
1: I did that, but, with, uh, I did that with Ken Burns' Vietnam War. That is even better. But surprisingly, <laughs> funnily much. enough, my yeah. wife actually watched several episodes of that show without me and took copious notes. Wow. And was like, here, For- if you want to catch up with me, here are the notes that I took on, on the Civil War. But like, it can go both ways. It's not, sometimes you're the person who's holding the couple back, you know?
0: Oh, I uh, that's always the case. But in this specific case, uh, so anyway, so finally it became clear. We had a real, real heart to heart. That's not true. She just made it very clear that she actually had no interest and I should feel free. And then there was a night the other last week when she had to work late and I was like, okay, now I have something that I can do. And you know what, Chris? I'm here to report to the listeners of The Watch. This is pretty good. The last dance is very good. It's really, really good. I'm really enjoying it. It's a little surreal to me because not only is all of this like, Lived experience, memory in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the rookie season and stuff, but like the championship years for the most part. Certainly the the, the second uh, three-peat. But that, Chris, you and I watched the majority of what I believe were the '97 finals together. Yeah, and now it's a it's a it's a it's a goddamn documentary.
1: No, the the two formative texts I think of our early relationship were Train Spotting and The mm-hmm. Last Dance. <laughs>
0: Well, not the, last the, dance.
1: the Chicago Bulls, like the, the NBA finals of 1997.
0: Yeah. All I really remember about the summer of 1997 is driving with you to New Jersey to buy Wu-Tang Forever the day it was released mm-hmm. and watching Jordan beat the Jazz. That's pretty much all I remember. And that's OK. That, those are really
1: important time capsule pieces, I think.
0: Also, life used to be a lot slower. I don't know if our younger, <laughs> if our younger <laughs> listeners know that. <laughs> But, you know, when the other thing when watching this is, is it's, it's a recurring theme, I think, for people of our age watching a documentary about something that, that we thought we remembered, you know, wasn't that, that, that long ago, is that we're watching this and we're like, I had no idea about that. How could I not have known about that? And part of that is the decay of brain cells because we are now a little bit older. That's probably true. But I do honestly think part of it is there was no actual way to take in all this information because basically... We were living our lives. And then at like 11 p.m., we would watch Rich Eisen and Stuart Scott on Sports yeah, and Center. If you and they would tell us a night. couple things.
1: Right, right.
0: And, and that's it. So but if you
1: missed the Dennis Rodman story that night, you know, you might get it the next day, but it wasn't like it was discussed for 24 hours on Twitter the next day. It wasn't like anybody, like nobody like me. It not not at that time, but like I I rem- I remember like getting into sports writing and coming to it from a mm-hmm. perspective of no one will ever read this. I'm just making myself laugh. Like that's why I'm doing like sports blogging. But sports blogging didn't exist back then. It was essentially mm-hmm. like you had like your local paper, your national paper, and ESPN, and that was it. So yeah, like you're right. All this stuff fell in between the margins. It fell in between those broadcasts.
0: And. To, to see it all put together now, I mean, I, I anyway, you know, people don't need this. This is this is extremely indulgent to let me talk about something that's this old, but do you feel like, really
1: uh, do you feel it all? Is there any part of you that's like, I'm happy that I, I'm having a very individual experience with this, or do you wish you had watched it with everybody else and participated I des- in the like
0: desperately wished I'd watched it with everyone else yeah, for, for the, two reasons. One, the memes are so good, yeah, I took that personally, and yeah. well. The Isaiah, the Isaiah one is my favorite. Yeah. He met the criteria for that selection, but for some reason, was I, I, I think about, that makes me laugh just thinking about it. And then, you know, then you see the context and you're like, oh, I get it. It's great. Um, that's reason number one. I think the other reason ultimately is, and you and I were texting a little bit about this last night, I don't know if this was the intended goal of the 10-hour series, but it... Right around episode seven, which I think is probably the best episode, it's one where his father, uh, he loses his father and he retires and he goes to play baseball, which is just insane when you think mm-hmm. about it. I guess it felt insane then, but maybe we were young and we didn't. Maybe that stuff happened occasionally. <laughs> Turns out, no, it doesn't. Anyway, you reach that episode. And at first I was like, I, despite all of this time and all of this uh, intense focus on and exclusive never before seen footage of his, Michael Jordan's singular greatness and drive, I was like, I don't know this guy at all. Yeah. And then by the end of the episode, I was actually like, oh, maybe there's just not that much to know. He is just a relentless, brilliant asshole whose poetry was when he played basketball and everything else was just totally prose. And so when we see him sitting around in a hotel room, it's like, no, that's it. That there actually is that's that's everything. And so I kind of wish I'd been with other people like you and like the larger culture, processing that and talking about it so it was a collective those for a collective insight into it as opposed to feeling weirdly Uh, I I just feel like I'm sort of on this. I feel like I'm on a journey of uh, understanding on my own, which I think is what happened to Phil Jackson when he took peyote in 1974.
1: (laughs) Um, We have a bunch of news stories I want to get to before we talk about The Head and Vita Perfecta. Um, I guess the first one we should mention just outside of the HBO industrial complex is the Mm -hmm. Gina Carano News, which in case anybody has been living under a rock for the last 24 hours, Gina Cronu who played Cara Dune on Mandalorian, and I I do say that in the past tense, uh, she has been let go from Lucasfilm to the extent that she was employed by Lucasfilm. She has a lot of controversial opinions that she's been sharing on social media, pretty pretty ugly opinions in a lot of cases. And uh, she had been, I think, redlining it for quite a while now out there on, on, on the Soch, but she has been uh, let go from both Lucasfilm and also her representation in Hollywood uh, dropped her, and now uh, that's that. I guess like it, there's really not a whole lot to say about this. I mean, I don't really know if even like this is like we don't even have like a where where does this leave the Cara Dune character?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's two there's two things worth. Discussing one is one is that like just specifically what does this mean for the Star Wars shows that uh, Favreau and filoni are building, and actually I think the die for that was already cast because I don't know if we if we if we pointed it out and questioned it at the big Disney Investor Day drop right at the end of last she year she was but it,
1: she was supposed to be a part of that like there is a rumor on Twitter now that was like sources say she was supposed to be named as like the centerpiece of one of those spin-off shows of The Mandalorian and that, that was scrubbed, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, they announced a show about Rangers of the New Republic, which they made which The Mandalorian made a big deal about saying that's what Cara Dune had become. Mm-hmm. That she wasn't named at Disney Investor Day or D20 or whatever that thing is called made me wonder, was her deal not done? What That felt odd to me. Like, clearly that was built around her character and that character's role. Now we know why... She wasn't, I mean, I guess it's a rumor. It seems pretty clear to me that that's probably verifiable. You know, I like, we're big Soderbergh heads. We love the movie Haywire. I kind of like her presence in stuff on screen. It's its certainly not what anyone would call traditional character-based mm-hmm. acting, but she's physically, you know, an interesting and worthwhile performer. And the, the sort of, larger Mandoverse they were building with her and Carl Weathers was both fun, but also, you know, when we talked about it in the fall, I kind of liked that Favreau clearly loves things on the uh, cheesier end of... Sure. The cheesier end of culture at times. Um, and I like that the... Like
1: wrestlers is what you mean?
0: Well, he likes wrestlers. He does. But also, <laughs> I mean, I guess cheesy isn't the word, but I think, you know, like he puts Bill Burr in it and he puts Carl Weathers in it. And like, yeah. he's not casting from the traditional here's who you need to have or here's the sexiest gets and I like that about the show and about the vibe of all of it Um, can this project survive without her? Yeah yeah I can. (laughs) No I think Mandalorian Uh, and Star Wars will be okay (laughs) Um, the other part of it is just it's kind of a bummer I mean first of all that she clearly sucks right? but I, I was talking to someone who is much more uh, plugged into Hollywood than we, than we are. I know it's hard to believe. I know. And that person said to me that uh, social media is more dangerous than a gun in Hollywood, which is a little bit glib. Obviously, guns can kill people. Um, and I didn't mean to equate it in, a, in, in such a you know casual fashion. But people really can just immolate their careers, you know, and, and, and I think the thing that people are really drawn to is what does it say about someone who clearly was on notice you know after being removed from the Disney Investor Day yeah. who just needs needs to just make one more kind of greasy analogy about Jews just to get her <laughs> point across you know what I mean like what hey. is the addiction to that not just the pathology of believing that but like you know what I feel like this is a good time to share this and then totally immolate her own career it's, it's, a, it's a wild story
1: Yeah, I, I. It's been kind of like a a fascinating week with that stuff, especially also with the Joss Whedon, Chrysa Carpenter stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, with the Gina Carano stuff, like I have to imagine that. My guess is that she was already knew that she was not going to be a part of that show, but maybe that's not true. I mean, I don't know why I'm Monday morning quarterbacking her social media like strategy when clearly
0: it's just it's been flawless batshit.
1: Yeah, but I wonder whether or not she was like, oh. It's already over, so I'm going down like a, a martyr so that I can sort of create my bona fides for a, a, a different spectrum of conservative, or not conservative, but like, you know, conspiracy-minded thought.
0: I, I don't, you know, I don't want to wade too far into this whole mess, but I, I think that one constant that, that you can point to in cases of high-profile people losing work, generally, it's not just... The tweets, it generally, it's not just one thing, you know, it's like the, the case of the people reading about the New York Times reporter who who lost his job recently, Don McNeil. Yeah. And people are like using this as an opportunity to, to roast the New York Times and say, oh, their standards are so inconsistent, et cetera, et cetera. But it, you read the longer reported pieces and they're like, this guy might've been an asshole. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that there's often more. To it, and and I and which isn't to say that she didn't deserve to lose her job for s- the, sideways the alone, right? Instagram storying about Jews, but and and everything else, but there's often more to it, and um, yeah, I think Star Wars is going to be fine.
1: I do too. Um, Pedro Pascal, who is Corano's co-star in The Mandalorian, was uh, was. He uh, landed a pretty big role. He's going to play the lead in Last of Us, which is HBO's adaptation of this really, really popular PlayStation game. I'll read a little bit about that to you because while I would play this game, I have not. So I don't really know a ton about it. Um, Last of Us takes place 20 years after modern civilization has destro- been destroyed. So shout out to that. Joel, who Pedro Pascal plays Joel, a hardened survivor is hired to smuggle Ellie, played by Game of Thrones' Bella Ramsey, Lady Mormont, a 14-year-old girl out of an oppressive quarantine zone. What starts as a small job soon becomes a brutal, heartbreaking journey as they both must traverse across the U.S. and depend on each other for survival. Pascal's Joel, tormented by past trauma and failure, must trek across a pandemic-ravaged America, all while protecting a girl who represents the last soapy manny. That's from The Deadline Report. Uplifting stuff.
0: Chris, quick question.
1: Yeah, and this is going to be run by Craig Mazin, who did Chernobyl. And uh, so obviously, it's got a lot of eyes on it.
0: Chris, if Joel's services were available now on (laughs) TaskRabbit or whatever, what would you pay (laughs) to be be escorted? To be tracked? Am I I in this situation?
1: Am I Humanity's Last Hope?
0: I've often thought of you that way. That is not new.
1: (laughs) I think that they'd be... Putting a lot of eggs in the basket of a 43-year-old ex Camel Light smoker. <laughs> you know? I, I, w-
0: I wouldn't bet against you. I,
1: I have like, you know, we're, we're talking, uh <laughs> we're, we're talking like some Josh McCowan treads on my tires. You know, I've got a lot of miles on the odometer.
0: <laughs> yes, but uh, look, I think anyone who has ever played any kind of competitive game or sport with you recognizes, Chris, that even in your younger, pluckier, 100% lung capacity days, you had kind of a big shot Bob Hori swagger. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, this is not, I know people on this who listen to the podcast know that Chris likes to, you know, he likes to, to, to uh, glory days his time on the Little League Diamond. I wasn't there for that. I can neither confirm nor deny. But Chris does approach any competition as if he could be the greatest. I mean, in that, it's something I recognize in the last dance. You know what I mean? Like You will take the corner three even if you cannot extend your arms that far above your head to make it. And I respect that. So I wouldn't bet against you in a so circumstance. A, a
1: couple of things on Last of Us that I wanted to hit. One, we're, we're still making video games into stuff.
0: I mean, track record is fantastic.
1: So there's that. But this obviously has a lot of, of prestige veneer to it because of the, the Chernobyl connection. Two, this will be among several pandemic-themed shows coming out in the uh, near to midterm future. So along with Station Eleven, we can we can have that to look forward to as a, a bunch of dystopian shows kind of teasing out what it would be like if this happened and this went even f- more wrong than it already has. Three, there is a thing in the deadline report that I just want to shout out. Quote, Pascal currently stars in Disney Plus' hugely popular and acclaimed series The Mandalorian, which recently received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Drama Series. He will continue on the Star Wars series where he is used sparingly because of the nature of his character. So the nature of his character is that he is in every fucking shot. I want to know, how often is that Pedro Pascal?
0: This is remains the biggest question about the show. And I am Do you think a, this is
1: Gina Carano's biggest question about the show?
0: I think this is... <laughs> yeah, I think this is... I, listen, listen. I am a stuntman truther. Uh-huh. I think that Pedro... How he, he, how much
1: how much is Rosario Dawson actually in Briar
0: Patch? I re- <laughs> she the mask was very well made. Chris. I'm not saying that Pedro Pascal hasn't brought the humanity to the character of the Mandalorian that sure. has made the show an international success. What I am saying is that when he gets in his car and he fires up his ways, Manhattan Beach is not one of the first 20 destinations it recognizes or suggests. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Every time, I think he has to type in the address of the studio. Right. That's what I'm saying.
1: But isn't that I, a, that's great work? If you can get it, you are. Oh, it's the best. The person associated with arguably the most popular newer character in pop mm-hmm. culture in the last like four or five years. Your approval rating is literally 100. Like honestly, he could probably get elected president. Yet he probably shows up to do five days of work a year outside of his voiceover stuff.
0: It, it might be the best gig in entertainment right now. I'm I'm very impressed. And he continues to get all the rest of the gigs. I mean, save some for everybody else. Yeah, he's, he's
1: also in uh, the Adam McKay movie, right?
0: Yeah, he, he was in that great Wonder Woman film that right. we loved. Um, <laughs> I want to just, last thing about this, because neither of us have played this game, we should at least make, you know, say that people love this series. It is acclaimed for its... Um, for its writing and its script, which I think is not always the case. It's like,
1: emotionally trenchant, right?
0: Yeah, like, like really, it, it's like I think Like, really it's, moving. And I also wanted to say that, like, what's been interesting to me to, to learn about it, I mean, I'd heard about it before the TV ad- adaptation because people were so crazy about it for reasons that they usually aren't crazy about video games, like what you're saying, the emotional attachment to the characters and the story arcs. It was really interesting to me as a uh, retired video game great to see that The Last of Us is made by a studio called Naughty Dog, which back when I played video games was responsible for the Crash Bandicoot series. Oh, which you are so a under- big fan of, right? Sure, they're fun in the racing game, but this is basically like if Rich Hall wrote Sniglets in the 80s <laughs> and then came back in the 90s and wrote the corrections. You know what I mean? Like, it is, this is a- Wait, who's Rich Hall? <laughs> he was the guy, with the comedian from who created Sniglets, the made-up words. On not necessarily the news, and he imitated Ronald Reagan a lot.
1: That is a really, really niche joke. I would, I would argue, less than five people are going to get that.
0: But those five people are going to that- tweet about it. <laughs> and I am all about engagement, so my strategy works. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you, any, you, uh, you, you and Gina, we're great. We're great. Check my stories. I got a lot of questions about what really happened. You and Gina on the Carano reaching across the aisle. We are, we are doing the predator meme except her arm is the size of the predator's people's arms and I my arm is a twig um I'm just saying you you can do better look the floor is yours to have a better analogy but it is the kind of like storytelling glow up that is just mind-boggling
1: yeah I know I know you know I I actually you know I haven't played last of us I have been playing Red Dead Redemption 2 this week and I think personally I was ready for that level of kind of, you know, this, this is actually a truly cinematic experience. It's an immersive storytelling right. experience. And it is that. I mean, there is some really mind-blowing stuff in there. It's certainly, like, better than Resident Evil 2 or, like, Max Payne or whatever the last time I really tried Not playing these Not better than Perfect games. Dark. No, nothing could be. But it's funny how, like, so much of it is still the same mechanics of, like, y- right. you can't leave this room until you find the third map. And meanwhile, like even though it looks like basically a, a scene from Deadwood, the guy is like, come on, Arthur, why are you straggling? And you're like, because I can't find this fucking map in this cabin and it's going to take me 25 minutes.
0: <laughs> that interests me a lot because as longtime listeners of the podcast know, I'm terrible at video games. Don't do them right because I'm a real stickler for, you know, <laughs> I like to play the game the right way. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Right. Unsp- like, the, all those unspoken rules of baseball, I follow them. You're the St. Louis Cardinals
1: of video games.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Beloved by my fan base. And when I would play our generation's version of immersive games, which is like, I guess, like Fantasy Star 3 or whatever on the Sega Genesis, the goal is always the same, right? Solve the puzzle, make it through the maze, Mm -hmm. beat the monsters, and then whatever but I would go into the town and the only thing you're supposed to do in the town is like get the book and buy a sword and I'd be like I wonder what that man has to say can't leave until I talk to him and the guy would be like I heard tell once a story about elves would you like to hear it and I'd be like yes
1: you were on like a straight talk express
0: (laughs) this is I'm listening to my constituents. Also, this is extremely only child shit. Where I'm like, the seven people in this frozen elvish town are the only people I'm going to speak to today. I know, I know. So I really better. So, so what you're you were telling playing me, Mortal
1: Kombat, being like, can we reason with you?
0: I, I play Mortal Kombat for the articles. I when I hear about these new games, which are also like, some, you know, completely immersive worlds. I don't think I could handle the pressure of these people actually talking or being played no, by this, like you know the on this guy guy game you're played... supposed
1: to on this game you have to bond with your horse. And I'm like how often? How often do I have to like pet him?
0: <laughs> like, like they're like oh, read, we spent 6 months reading Lonesome Dove, you should know this stuff. I know bro. I
1: really should. Yo, I don't really like animals don't really make it out like they they're secondary in Lonesome Dove. They like their horses, but as we may yeah. know from some sequels the Lonesome Dove horses have, have a little bit yes. of blood on their hands.
0: I do think, you know, and not this, you know, <laughs> this might get us in more trouble than Lena Dunham got for, you know, having a dead cat corpse on her new show, which I read about also. It was a big scandal. She didn't kill the cat, by the way. We're not. The point being, I think that I responded and related to, even though I live a very animal-free existence, that like in Lonesome Dove, they were like, we need these horses because otherwise we'll die.
1: Yeah, it wasn't and, like and, a, and, this horse, like, here's some cool, like, pictures I'm taking of my horse and putting on my horse's Instagram account.
0: It It's not just, I listened to yesterday, I started, uh, the great Salma Hayek is on Mark Marin this week. Uh-huh. And for some reason, they immediately are talking about horses. I, I mean, it's just. It's,
1: was he, was he like, who was your crew going up? And she was like, horses?
0: <laughs> <laughs> who were your guys? <laughs> she, she was like, like sec- secretariat? secretariat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, no, it's one of those, it's a, it's a great, this is, here's a, here's a big digression. Um, pandemic era Zoom Marin is fascinating because all of a sudden all the episodes are an hour and six minutes because now he's just doing Zoom interviews with celebrities who've been given an hour. You know, right. it's not just like, and it's just talking to whomever, which is great, but not everyone is ready to play. So he gets on the Zoom with Salma Hayek. He's like, hi, Salma, what are you, what are you drinking? And she's like, oh, this? And he's like, yes. And she's like, this is Lemon cayenne and maple syrup and he's like why will it keep you from getting COVID?" and she's like my god no you know like there's she's just not she's not getting it but she starts talking about horses and he's like she's like i used to ride horses very much very often but does she not know that she's
1: on Marin's pod like does she think she's doing Access Hollywood or something I
0: think she's probably a a, a Fun person but you know They're on zoom she's in London she said she didn't sleep well That night I mean look there was a lot going on I don't need to Tell you the whole thing feel free to listen to it you know Everyone but but the point being she's First she says that her Eldest stepdaughter is moving to France To represent the national friend Like the French national team in the steeplechase Like horse horse shit Isn't she
1: married to like like a French Trillionaire
0: yes so this started To make sense But then she's like, um, he's like, oh, do you ride horses? She's like, they're beautiful animals, but I don't anymore. Then she's like, well, I have intermittently over the last 25 years of movie work, but that doesn't count. Like, okay. And he's like, why not? And she says, because she was asked by a friend to break a a wild horse for him. First of all, obviously no one would ever ask me, but I'm a little slighted that I've never been in that situation. You know what I mean? I've never, my life has never reached a point where I've been with a group of guys And one of them is just like, hey, you coming (laughs) to the birthday party on Sunday? Yeah, did you watch the game? I did. Sorry to bring it up this way, but I need someone to break a wild stallion for me who's free. So Salma agrees to break the horse. And she says that she rides the horse a little bit, but Mm -hmm. she knows it's crazy. It's a crazy horse. And the horse is going so crazy, it's trying to slam her into a wall to hurt her. And everyone is saying, Salma, jump off the horse. You must leap from the horse. So, so Mark Maron's like, what did you do? And she says, why are people talking like that? (laughs) Leap from the horse, Salma. I think this is how people talk in the horse world. Like, I think they speak very formally. And so she leaps from the horse. And then apparently the horse then tried to finish the job and kill her.
1: And so since then she hasn't ridden.
0: No, until on the set of the Eternals, she had a healing experience. That's good.
1: Thanks, Chloe Zhao.
0: (laughs) All of this is to say, Chris, did you know horses can come after us?
1: Yeah, of course, man.
0: I don't know, and if they did in Lonesome Dove, they would be like, "Okay, you're no longer a horse; you're now dinner." <laughs> I feel like we laid down a tougher line. I know that was also the policy onset of HBO's. Did, I was just going
1: to make a luck joke. Hey, uh, but, one more HBO news bit before we yeah. move on to uh, the shows we wanted to discuss this week. So, I I was not emotionally prepared for this, but in some comments or another, Casey Bloys, and you you know everybody who knows us knows that we're we're Bloys boys. We believe in Casey. We believe in the choices he makes, but he kind of, he, he just went off script and was like, yeah, you know, I'm talking to some new writers about possibly redeveloping, oh, yeah. rebooting True Detective, some new writers, not the Ojai kid, not, not the prince, the prince of the Ojai Valley, Nick Pizzolatto. Who I think most people associate with True Detective, that even though Carrie Fukunaga had so much to do, or is the the architect of the the visual architect of the first season, and even though McConaughey and Harrelson are obviously instrumental in bringing a lot of the soul to the show that we understand, and even though the second and to a lesser extent the third seasons were not as successful, I think critically, if, I don't know about commercially, but critically, certainly not critically as the first season, I think remained like an interesting and somewhat. Loved show, at least by me. So, what do you think of the idea mm-hmm. of HBO saying, like, "Hey, we've got this thing that people—if you put True Detective at the beginning of a mystery, people will watch that mystery." But going out to people, apparently, Sam Levinson, uh, the director, writer, director of Euphoria, and some other people about um, about possibly rebooting the show.
0: First of all, I'm really into these nicknames, El Rey de Route 33. Yeah. The the Baron of Bart's books.
1: <laughs> Father John
0: Pizzy. I, Pizzi. I <laughs> that's that's even better. Is that off the dome? Yeah. I just I mean, when Nick posted that Instagram photo of him shirtless smoking a cigar, I showing off his text and I like as many Right. And he was holding a lot, He's like a fistful of scripts. Yeah. I can't believe one of them wasn't yeah. true D4. But uh
1: Well, I'll get to I, that in a second.
0: This might be rub you the wrong way Chris but this is a great idea and this is absolutely what they should have done probably a while ago and what they should be doing and I say that actually not to undermine the work of Nick P but actually to maybe honor it which is to say I think that if you talk about True Detective culturally I think that people will point to in 2021 and maybe this is just an industry focus, but if so, but so be it. It is less about the writing and the, the, the genre and the content. And it's more about its two biggest contributions to where we are now in terms of television. One is the directorial cinematic experience of mm-hmm. having a, a film director step in and, and really put a footprint on something, which obviously began to take, you know, flourish as a trend and even as an expectation yeah. In a certain level of prestige TV. And two, the stars. It was the one where it's like, wait, these guys are going to do something like this. And then yeah. now everybody's doing something like this. And I think Lost in that is what was, to me, the most compelling thing about the first season and about the project overall, which is we are going to do something noir. Like we are going to get pulpy. We are going to do justice to the great American tradition of the regional uh, crime story the detective story mm-hmm. and I think it still remains really exciting to me the possibility of you know a, a bringing in people and this is where it's key to me I, I not to I don't know Sam Levinson at all and I, I don't mean I don't know him as a filmmaker which I'm not that familiar with I mean I don't know his personal taste but I mean I think the key is bring in people who fucking love this stuff sure you know what yeah. I mean who just live and breathe this type of storytelling and then give them the keys to a very well-oiled, well-furnished machine that HBO can provide. And so rather than going to a flashy, established person, I would I would be going in the Rolodex and calling our friend Megan Abbott, for example, mm-hmm. who's a great noir novelist and, 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 a, and a TV writer and producer now herself. What about the Megan Abbott, Corinne Kusama season of True sure. Detective? Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Or, or get Walter Mosley or someone who loves Walter Mosley and Carl Franklin. And do a season, or you know, more, more, um, these won't move needles in terms of name recognition. But people like Michael D. Fuller, who created or co created Quarry, yeah, which I adored. Uh, and if you like True Detective, you would like Quarry, or Tony Toast, who did the show Damnation. Like, these are just people who I know just from their public, I've never from met the them, work. but publicly and from their work, like, they like the books that would. Still, that still need to be not even if not directly adapted, but like just explored and ex- celebrated on screen. I think it's exciting.
1: I think it, the reason why I kind of wanted to mention this, aside from my obvious like weird like pizzolato worship, is two things. One, it would be fascinating to see a streamer like HBO use True Detective as their Law and Order, and and mm-hmm. basically use you take take a show that has very specific, very singular roots with uh, with a specific creator or creators and then just basically open up the doors and say hey you want to do true detective new york you want to do true detective london you want to do true detective texas you want to do true detective portland like let's start moving it around that does get away from one thing so when nick pitslotta last sort of spoke about true detective if i remember correctly he basically said i have a crazy idea for season 4 and alluded to the idea that it might tie together with season 1 and part mm-hmm. of the attraction to season three for me, or among many reasons, Mahershal Ali being chief among them, was the fact that it was taking place sort of parallel to season one and that there were certain similarities to the storylines and that there might be a world in which this de- these detectives were working on cases at the same time as, as Russ Cole was. And I liked the idea of this guy weaving together over a series of seemingly standalone stories, like an overarching conspiratorial underground that these, these detectives were investigating. You would probably wind up deviating from that. And if I had to guess, I think that that season four pitch was probably kind of basically got bundled up into what Redeemer was for FX. The Pizzolatto McConaughey show that he had going there that they have since passed on.
0: Yeah. Like a lot of the energy that would have gone
1: into that or whatever, but it's essentially a book about like a, you know, like a, a disgraced preacher, kind of um, roaming Texas and solving crime, right?
0: Um, sort of. Yeah, the book. <laughs> yeah. The, I started the book; it's good. Yeah. Um, that it was based on, but it's it's now uh, not going forward, and he's extricating himself from his deal at FX. So we're not sure what's next. But uh, you know, I, I, for me, everybody knows this, and uh, I think that what's worthwhile about all three seasons of True Detective, more than anything else, is that. HBO gave a writer the space to pursue the things that motivate him and interest him. Ultimately, I think that was less about the genre or about detective stories as it was about, you know, broken men in a broken world, Um, which is fine. I'm less interested in that as a concept. And so I do like the idea of being able to reset it to be about something more pliable going forward. I, Mm -hmm. I just think it's smart business. And it is still a viable brand.
1: All right, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about two international shows on HBO Max. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? Right. To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Three great words: free, fries, Friday, especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valid one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 123124. Excludes tax. Must update rewards.
1: All right, Andy. So we were looking for some midweek shows to talk about to watch. Uh, we obviously have been talking a lot about WandaVision on Mondays, but you know, there's kind of a grab bag of stuff out there right now. One of the funny things that happened though is when we were, you know, I was looking on Twitter and a couple of people had talked about how they were getting into this show The Head on HBO Max. And there's been a kind of uh, infusion of international stuff on HBO Max, The Head, Vita Perfecta, which we're gonna talk about as well also the investigation where i was just kind of like i had no idea that this was that these shows were already in the middle of or you know being released already so there's this funny thing that happens now where you'll be like oh i heard this show is good and it's like all the episodes are already up they've either mm-hmm. been getting released for the last month or they they dropped them in a in a chunk um, let's talk about the head first so the head is essentially very knowingly a Agatha Christie meets the thing story set at an Antarctic science expedition. Uh, this, this uh, expedition called the Polaris that is essentially a science expedition gone wrong. Something has happened out at this uh, base during a, uh, the long winter when there's no daylight for six months. And the sort of relief crew has shown up to try and figure out what happened to these people. Uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but like all of which are all of whom seem to be dead or missing. And there's one living witness t- sort of describing what's going on. And, you know, it is the most international of international co-pros. If somebody was like, I think I was talking about this last night with Sean Fennessy, and he was like, is it English language or foreign language or subtitles? And I was like, it's yes. in this weird language that I almost call Borgonese." <laughs> where people are speaking Swedish or Norwegian, but then will often Danish, break into yeah. English, yeah, Danish, or and then they'll break into English for like half of a scene.
0: It, yeah, I I think I, I'd put it this way: like I I was listening, as one does now, to like an epidemiologist on NPR. Talking about what makes this particular pandemic Your different. Your media than diet past ones. is so
1: much healthier than mine. Like, you're like, I've watched The Last Dance and listened to WTF and NPR. And I'm just like, I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> and watching the fucking Hornets play.
0: I would do anything to trade places with you. I think everybody <laughs> knows that. Um, and they were like, What makes this pandemic different than previous ones or in terms of how we can recover from it? And the answer basically had to do with globalization, how we are. The world is actually quite small in terms of travel and commerce, and so you you cannot just fix it in one place. You have to fix it everywhere, or it will be everywhere. And couldn't help but think that the head is one of the one of one of the products, the non viral products of this world. Because okay. I, I, it's it's kind of incredible. It is a Spanish slash Japanese co production. Okay, it was made by. HBO Asia, and Hulu Japan.
1: Yep. And they shot it in the Canary Islands and in Iceland.
0: In the Canary Islands of Spain and the exteriors in Iceland. The cast reminds me of like a hospital cafeteria in that it's just like, Tuesday, Tuesday is taco day. And then (laughs) Wednesday, it's like Swedish meatballs because everyone in the kitchen is fucking bored. Right. You know what I mean? So- it's truly incredible to watch the cast of who I would, I would describe as the people who were available for the project. That is how I would describe their uh, replacement so, level. So there's like panache. a guy
1: who is, is it, Dan- he's Danish, right? The Johan is Danish, correct? Well,
0: there's a Norwegian, f- there's a, there's like a Swedish flag, but they're speaking Danish and Swedish and English. It, right
1: like there like it's really confusing i don't want to get too far afield but there's like a guy named nils who seems like he's from brooklyn like i, I yes. don't really understand a lot of it there the, the main character ostensibly is is maggie irish the the young doctor
0: who's i think she's scottish scottish okay i think she's scottish um could be our irish confu-
1: our confusion is is well founded obviously like there are a lot of different flavors getting thrown at you at once i think it's I do think they sh-
0: i like th- i'm enjoying watching this show Me too. But I do think that the Brexiteers showed this on BBC2 the night before the vote and that's why they left. (laughs) This is why
1: Sunderland fell? Here's the thing. I do think so. Here's the reason I like this show is because it's pulling a broad church where they're doing uh, each episode has basically a red herring. You know, this person did it. This person is the reason why everybody disappeared. And then it kind of You know, various in various ways, course corrects off of that, so that it's constantly kind of throwing out these new uh, suspects of who could be responsible for whatever supernatural, paranormal, or just criminal activity that happened on this on this uh, basis. I watched the first two episodes. The other reason I like it a lot is because I really like Antarctic science expedition stuff. Partially because I have no idea what they're doing out there. You know, like there's a lot of
0: there's
1: a when you show me Jane Goodall and she's just like I am mapping the connections across evolution. Like, look at this gorilla. He is you and you are him. And that's moving to me. You know, and I'm like, your life's work of conservationism and just seeking to understand the universe in a profound way, like, I get it. When a bunch of people go to an ice cube at the farthest point on the planet and they're like, it's six months of darkness, but we got to do it because there might be a bacteria under here. I don't get that. You know, it sounds like we have a ticking clock on planet Earth anyway. Why don't we just kind of wrap it up? It sounds like that the the takeaway from the Antarctic is that it's melting.
0: I mean, one of the said, reasons. That being said, it yeah. is an
1: amazing place to set a mystery show.
0: Yeah. One of the reasons why you and I live in Los Angeles, I think, is because we have generally adopted this view, which is after this many thousands of years on the planet, we've identified the nice places. So let's <laughs> go to them. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's nice out right now. At least we've got that. Yeah. I also have some questions uh, as someone who will never undertake an Antarctic expedition.
1: Oh, I wouldn't do it, but I'll watch any show or movie set in
0: one. It is interesting, and and it does start with a great—I don't want to bury this. Like, the premise is great. It starts with, like, the end of daylight party, and then it's going to be, like, six months of darkness. What could go wrong? Let's all watch the thing, which they do (laughs) in the first episode. I do have some questions. Maybe one of our listeners can help with this. Maybe a, a listener who's who's done time in an, in an Antarctic science expedition. I do have some general questions about the HR policies of It seems hiring. to be
1: Moss Spaceport. spaceport.
0: I mean, they, they talk a lot about how crucial the work they're doing is. And then in the same breath, they're like, everyone here has killed a guy. And they had nowhere <laughs> else to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just feel like, like maybe. Mills
1: couldn't get a job at a Wendy's. In, yes. in like the end of Long Island. So he came here.
0: I mean, I know that we are correctly finally debating the minimum wage in America, but maybe we should also address the wages of the people we're paying and then with the people that we send to the bottom of the world to save humanity. You know right. what I mean? Like maybe we could shake a few extra shuckles But is that, for that what
1: we're doing? Do you think that like there's a lot of scientific value? You don't want to like get canceled by the scientific community? Is that why you're you're? No, back I, there office? must
0: be. It must be fascinating. I don't know. I, I, I guess- my my issue with the show is the premise is so good and like you said it's there now it's just available to us sure so i'm i'm watching it me too. Um, the level of performance gives me pause i'm going to be honest with everybody at times but it is an enjoyable premise and now um, that i know that they that, shot
1: it in the canary islands i think the acting is amazing because the canary <laughs> islands are the nicest place on the planet there it's like tenerife isn't it
0: yeah they were in tenerife right?
1: so like, these people are pretending that it's negative 30 degrees outside, and in fact, they're in fucking the most beautiful part of Spain?
0: Just drinking, just drinking some, like, That's like Daniel whites. J.
1: Lewis-level acting. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> they're swirling some, like, volcanic white wines, being like, I'm sorry, four hours of work today? Um, but they're saying it in three languages at the same time, often in, within the same paragraph. Um, Chris, it, and we're not going to spoil more. People should check this out. But, like, what... What like? How do you see yourself in an Antarctic expedition? Because oh, like what's my role? I, well, because, he, and, and I'm going to help you out because there is a character here played by ostensibly the most famous person in the cast, I guess, a six-year-old Irish actor named John Lynch who is in in the name of the father, you know, like, and just looks like a guy that you've probably all seen is that, before. Is that the guy
1: who plays Arthur, the head
0: scientist? He is a, he's the most debonair uh, Antarctic scientist ever. He the wears ab- open
1: th- collar <laughs> shirts with, with sport coats.
0: First of all, his last name his name is Arthur Wilde. Uh-huh. So gotta be something going on there. But this is a dude who's who's just like I know I know all of us have really reconsidered our uh, work from home wardrobes during this challenging year, and maybe we're wearing like pants with drawstrings instead of buttons now or whatever. Yeah. My guy just effortlessly goes within seconds from full body parkas in negative forty degree wind chill to instantly dressing like my dad the time we went to the North Carolina coast in 1984. He only wears windowpane blazers inside a science station with a snifter of brandy. His le- he is seated with legs crossed before any of the other characters even have a moment to say in flawless what I imagine to be Danish, we cannot put him on trial without a jury. Like the, the, It is so baller. And so obviously that is my expedition goals Uh uh-huh like i i know we are at the bottom of the earth in an endless night but you still got to keep it fucking classy that's me but are you chris are you the nietzsche reading spanish-speaking cook is that you are you the axe-wielding brooklyn barista like who are you in this expedition well in terms
1: of how i would dress straight Chaz tenenbaum like as soon as I get there, it would be tracksuits for days. Like I and different tracksuits every day. It's like I think I would really I would wear like a, you know, full Liverpool away kit some days. I would probably, yes. you know, I would I would I would I would dress like Rock in the, on the cover of Follow the Leader sometimes. <laughs> but I would never wear anything that wasn't like tear away, you know, just the zip up windbreaker kind of stuff. Um, I would also use... I would heavily, heavily, heavily invest myself in becoming as much like Kurt Russell in The Thing as possible.
0: I'm not saying that one should watch a show like this with an eye for exacting realism. That's not what it's about. But when you have a program where in the early episodes, they make it very clear, it's a plot point, that each member of the expedition is allowed five minutes of shower a week. Yeah. And then you have one character... Dressing like Bartles and James and another (laughs) character, Maggie, who you mentioned before, dressing like every paralegal in Manhattan circa 2009 with like a V-neck sweater over a J.Crew button down. Yes. I just feel like we're focusing on the wrong things. The one dude, the Japanese dude in there, he's just wearing a hoodie and it's not a particularly nice hoodie. Like in that I respect.
1: Yes. Um, Let's quickly go through Vita Perfecta. Do you want to handle the introduction to this one?
0: Yeah, just to say that this is where where we're at with television right now, and I think it's really noteworthy and interesting. Um, on the one hand, we're kind of in a fallow period. These are
1: both on HBO Max, by the way. I think I yes. mentioned that already.
0: The big shows that we are us- used to talking about are either you know on the runway still or in production or at a commission or delayed or whatever. But it's not like there's nothing out there. And what's incredible about the streaming services and their bounty of co-pros and international programming is that you can fill almost every hole that you want out of your nightly television with something that's out there and uh, Vita Perfecta I've just started it so I think maybe we can revisit it Mm -hmm. but it is a very well made very entertaining very compelling kind of dramedy about three women in Spain at different points in their professional and personal life and Mm -hmm. sexual life and occasional dipping your finger into MDMA life which you know is super entertaining And it's just been interesting to watch. I mean, I've only watched the first two, so I'm withholding judgment. I think it's been entertaining. But it is really interesting to see the way there's a certain international language and not Esperanto about the art we're consuming right now. Uh In that the, and I think that's probably a good thing. It's not just that the concerns of these three women of a certain age in Spain um, match up in a very, very uh, compelling and familiar ways with the the wants, hopes, frustrations, and desires of women we've seen in American TV shows recently. Um, but that the sort of the way the story is told, both in terms of its music and the use of the juxtaposition of comedy and sort of shocking emotional moments, like it's, it's the lingua franca of television right now. And it slides effortlessly into what you've already been watching and maybe we're looking forward to watching. So, it has nothing to do with normal people. It has nothing to do with Fleabag. But if you like those shows, you might find something to like here too. The thing that I would say, and I'm saying this both to the listeners and also to uh, the people who actually do the coding on HBO Max, please don't default it to the English dub. There's a button on HBO Max before you hit play on the series that will say what language it's in and you can click on that and you can flip it. And it's odd to me that it it's trying to get us to watch it with a that suboptimal said, English dub.
1: That being said, to Casey Bloys, I say this, mm. I volunteer to be a dubbing artist. Oh my God. I would like, I would love to dub the, the dialogue from Vita Perfecta. I think I'd do great work for that.
0: Considering that the opening scene is both about, uh, long-term, um, mortgage rates, mortgages, mm-hmm. and, uh, Really, the nitty-gritty of anal sex. Yes, I, I think that I'm ready to hear your audition. Maybe not on this <laughs> podcast because this podcast is for the kids. But,
1: um, I I found this show pretty pretty charming. You know, uh, this is one that I I will, I will like happily fire up again and again. I've watched one episode of it, but yeah, I think that it was. It's also notable to see the 28 minute dramedy become like the standby go-to format for this kind of storytelling now like where it's like a little bit edgy but also like has some sincere laugh lines but like this is this is where you want to fit that in rather than doing a 45 minute to 55 minute to hour and two minute like sort of soapy thing you're gonna kind of cram in a lot of of stuff into these shorter bites
0: Also, you're going to take certain things that became familiar to us from the 80s and 90s rom-coms, like in the opening episode where the character Maria, who is both discussing both mortgages and anal sex and making like an exasperated how can this keep happening to me face because her life's falling apart. That is like the specifics, specifically of the, you know, the backdoor stuff. That is not familiar from Meg Ryan comedies of the early 90s. Yeah. But the kind of expression she's making about like how her life is going is, but because there's more real estate and because it's 30 years later, it can go to more interesting places and more emotionally true places and also some, some racier places. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a good show. We're, we've got to see where it's going.
1: Yeah. So we'll keep up on both the head and, and, uh, Vita Perfecta. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to talk about WandaVision. It's always, it, what what a, what a kind of, we had a little bit of a grab bag today, but it was really fun.
0: I'm gonna start dressing like Dr. Arthur Wilde, a doctor of what? We have no idea.
1: Bacteria. That's what they, they they're like he found that bacteria. And I'm like, Yo, why don't we just leave bacteria alone?
0: Yeah, can I just say, I don't think it's any great shakes to find bacteria in twenty twenty one. We Dr. are spending Arthur every minute Wild of our lives hanging
1: out with all these bats. Nothing could go wrong. It's
0: like I've done everything possible to these pangolins. I guess I haven't tried eating one yet. <laughs> the head season two. See you Monday. Can't wait.